Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the pleasure of having John Merrill with us. From 1994 until 2010, John Merrill served as the Director of Community Relations and Community Education for the Tuscaloosa County Board of Education. In this capacity, he served as the spokesperson for the Tuscaloosa County School System and coordinated 20 after-school programs. On November 2, 2010, John was elected to the Alabama State House representing District 62. John served as the Secretary-Treasurer of the House Republican Caucus and was a member of the Rules Committee, Economic Development and Tourism Committee, and the Constitution, Campaigns, and Elections Committee. On November 4, 2014, John was elected as Alabama's Secretary of State with 65% of the vote and carried 53 of Alabama's 67 counties. He was inaugurated as Alabama's 53rd Secretary of State on January 19, 2015. John has been married to Cindy Benford Merrill for 30 years. They have two adult children, Brooks and Allie Grace. So welcome, John Merrill. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, great. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes, ma'am. So, John, can you share with us a bit about your leadership journey and what you're doing now? Well, I think my leadership journey began when I was a small child. My mom knew that it was very important for me to have some of the training that was necessary to allow me to become the leader that I would become at some point in the future. So it was very important to her that I be enrolled in the scouting program, which I was. And scouting was very important in that formative training period as I was developing. But I also was very active and interested in student council and other things of that nature at school. And I was the student council representative when I was in the first grade and continued all the way up through the sixth grade in that role. And a couple of times even shared the fire marshal responsibilities. When I was in the third grade, I began playing baseball. And that was the first time that we were able to participate in organized sports. Uh, Then when I got in the fifth grade, I ran for an officer position in student council. I was defeated, but I ran again in the sixth grade and was defeated, but I continued to become more and more involved. And then when I was in high school, it was the same situation, but all of those opportunities helped to prepare me for the privileges that I've had over the last few years to serve in leadership positions. So what is it that you're doing now? Well, I am the Secretary of State for the state of Alabama. There have been 53 Secretaries of State in Alabama's history since December 14, 1819, when Alabama became the 22nd state admitted to the Union. So, you know, it's not lost on me that there have been 
52 other secretaries of state, and there'll be some number after me. But my commitment is, as long as I'm here, that we're going to do everything we can to be as effective and as efficient as we can possibly be. Well, John, you've come a long way from a Weebolo Scout, and we're so happy to have you. So can you describe your leadership style? Well, I think my leadership style is one of support and encouragement, but maintaining high expectations without being strictly hands-on to those people that I'm attempting to lead. I believe that individuals should be able to perform at the level that your expectations of them are. But that does not mean that you need to be standing over them all the time watching everything that they're doing. I believe that you should assign people tasks and then they should respond to those tasks accordingly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I think people err on the side of demanding that those expectations be met, but they spend a lot of their time standing over folks and watching them to make sure it's done just so. And I think that's a mistake. When I listen to that, I would perform because that's who I am. But it doesn't motivate me to do my best when you have someone micromanaging you, right? No, because this is the thing. If you're going to rely on that type leadership style, you might as well just carve out time and do the job yourself. (laughs) You'd be completely exhausted. (laughs) So trust is a big part of how you lead, correct? Absolutely. And the expectation that you should perform at the highest level that you're capable of performing at at all time is what my expectation is for all the team members that we have that are working with us. John, can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Sure. There's two that are most important to me. One comes from January 20th, 1961, John Kennedy's inaugural address when he said, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And the other one comes from his brother, Robert Francis Kennedy, who was the attorney general of the United States and also a United States senator from New York, where he said, some men see things as they are and ask why. And I dream of things that never were and ask why not. Mm. And why do those two in particular speak to you? Well, because both of them revolve around being visionary, but also have a high degree of selflessness that is attached to them. And that's what's important to me, giving of yourself as a servant, especially when you are a public servant. Mm -hmm. And I think all too often people lose focus on what that requirement actually is. My expectation is, as a public servant and as an elected official, that my job is to work for the people of Alabama. So I tell those people whenever I speak to them all over the state or if they come to our office or if I'm engaged in an interview, I work for the people of Alabama. Mm -hmm. They don't work for me. I work for them and I need to be available to them, which is why I put my personal cell phone number on my business cards whenever I give it out. Oh, really? Oh, yes, ma'am. So if someone wants to contact me, they need to have direct access. Hmm. So you gave us a hint, and I can almost guess. So can you tell us what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I'm inspired by visionary leaders, but I'm inspired by leaders who expect results and basically demand results. And then they measure results to make sure that you're accomplishing the task that's there before you. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that you've had a lot of mentors along the way that spoke into this. I certainly have. And they go from little league coaches to uh, elected officials 
to Sunday school teachers or pastors or principals or classroom teachers, as well as, most importantly, my mom and my dad, who have served in that role for many, many years. And I just lost my dad on Friday, the 17th of February. He passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. As I reflected at his service when I gave the eulogy on the things that he had allowed me to engage in that have prepared me to do the job that I do today, those things are innumerable. And I would not be in the position that I'm in today if it were not for my dad and his influence on my life. Well, you know, he certainly left a legacy in you. Oh, and not just in me, but in thousands of people that he engaged with throughout his 80 years. And I'm very fortunate that he was my father. Awesome. Okay, so John, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice that I've ever received came from a superintendent that I worked for when I was the director of community relations and community education for the Tuscaloosa County school system. And that was that you don't need to be friends with everyone. Hmm. You need to be friendly to everyone, but you don't need to be friends with everyone because everyone is not your friend and everyone is not interested in what's right or best for you. So you need to choose wisely and you need to make sure that you're doing everything you can to invest in other people's lives, but don't try to make everyone your friend. And so for those listening to this advice, why does that speak to you and how did that help pivot you? Because I think sometimes we become too trusting of people that we don't really have a personal relationship with. And in doing so, it can make us extraordinarily vulnerable and it can put us in a deficit situation that we might not ever get out of if we don't choose wisely and handle that correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I'm assuming you've been on many teams and you've created many teams. Yes, Um, ma'am. So what does it mean to have a good team and how would you build one or sustain one? Well, I think you need to start by trying to attract people to your team that can contribute in a way that will make your team stronger. And sometimes... That means getting people that are like you, and sometimes it means getting people that are dissimilar from you. But bringing in a team that will help you achieve your ultimate goal, whatever that happens to be. And that can change depending on the circumstances. I was just talking to my wife a couple of days ago and explaining to her something that we were currently going through in state politics. And I said, that's what it means when someone says politics make strange bedfellows, because We talked about these rivals that were not necessarily always on the same page, but because of this issue, they had had to join together to accomplish what they believed to be the greater good. Hmm. And that's certainly a great skill to have as a leader, to reach out to those who aren't on the same page in some circumstances, but in others, not to hold grudges and to be able to work together and do that. Well, and to try to get the most out of each individual so that they can contribute at the highest level they're capable of contributing so you get the maximum result in the end. Mm, Great. Thank you so much for that. Now, John, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Well, I think we've all had numerous challenges. One of the most significant early challenges that I had in my life was when I decided that I wanted to become the president of the student body at the University of Alabama. At the time, the University of Alabama had 16,000 students, but 
one of the things that distinguishes the University of Alabama Student Government Association from other SGAs around the nation is that our student government has been dominated historically since it was created in 1914 by a Greek machine on our campus. Now, the Greek machine is a select coalition of fraternities and sororities that was specifically designed to influence and dominate campus politics at the University of Alabama. So 2,500 people come together on an annual basis and block voted to elect the candidate of their choice. All of their people voted for that candidate. And only six times in the history of the University of Alabama had the machine candidate been defeated. And we waged a campaign that was not unlike the campaigns that I have run for the Alabama legislature or secretary of state by building coalitions, putting together teams, people that lived in residence hall, people that lived in off-campus facilities, people that lived in academic dormitories, that lived in athletic dormitories, people that were in certain classes, academic instruction in arts and sciences or business, student athletes, international students, minority students. And we built that coalition and we were able to exact success from that effort. And I became the seventh independent president in the history of the University of Alabama. Wow. That was surely a challenge before you when you met it. It's like a David and Goliath story. Yeah, actually it was. And we also raised money for our campaign and we did it just like I do today by sending letters to people all over the state and the nation, asking them to support our efforts and then receiving those contributions and then expending that money to support our efforts in the way that we thought was best. And we raised $8,000 in doing that. And we spent all of those resources trying to get the word out to the students at the University of Alabama through our student newspaper, through billboards, through handouts, T-shirts, buttons, all of those things, just like you would run a normal campaign. So, you know, as you're speaking, you occur to me as someone who's really good at connecting with people. Well, and, I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> and I wish, you know, people could see your face. You smile with your eyes. You have this radiant way of being. But also the fact that you give out your cell phone number, which speaks to how you want people to connect with you and how you care. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you? Sure. I think one of the greatest successes that we've experienced recently was in taking a situation that we inherited in the office of the secretary of state where our business filings aspect was seven to nine months behind. And we were told by two previous secretaries of state when we came here, don't worry about business services. They run a little bit behind, but they make money for your office and for the state of Alabama. So just let them do what they need to do. You don't have to worry about giving attention to that area. So we let them do that, even though we explained to them what our expectations were. We also discovered after we had been here for a couple of weeks that they were not even depositing checks on the same day that they were received, which is against the law in the state of Alabama. And so we corrected that immediately. And then after about a 13 and a half, 14 month period, we examined where they were by letting them do what they wanted to do. And we discovered that they were still 42 days behind on business filings, which is obviously six weeks. But that's assuming that there's seven work days in a week, which there's not. So they were still behind 42 days. So our chief of staff talked to the director of business services and asked her, would you explain to me how you process the paperwork when people 
pay the expedited fee to have it done in one day. And she said, well, it's three days. And he said, no, no, no. I mean, when they pay the extra money so that it gets done in a day as guaranteed by law, how do you do it from intake to processing to execution to completion? And she said, well, it's three days. And he said, why don't you tell me what you're talking about? Mm. And she said, well, a day is 24 hours. He said, right. And she said, and a work day is eight hours. And he said, okay. And she said, so we have three work days to get it done in a day. And that's creative. I don't think that's what the Alabama <laughs> legislature intended when they said that you could charge the extra money to get it done in a day. Well, wow. let me uh, share this with you. When we came here, we had 49 employees in the office of Secretary of State. Since I've been the secretary, we've had 29 people that have left this office mm. and found something else to do outside of state government. Now, we were told that we could not change the culture of this office because if people didn't like the way we were attempting to lead, they would just wait us out because they were career bureaucrats and state employees. Right. And we have some outstanding state employees, but we have some that need to find something else to do outside of state government. Mm -hmm. Well, after this was introduced to that particular lady, she decided it was time for her to find something else to do outside of state government. So she left too. Mm -hmm. But I'm delighted to report to you that we have filled some of those jobs right. and we've added eight people back. We have a total now of 37 employees. So we're... 12 short of where we were when we started, but for 35 consecutive weeks, we've been at same day on business filings. Mm -hmm. So when you submit your paperwork, it's done that day, whether you pay the expedited fee or not. And 24 hours is, is still 24 hours. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate that story because tackling the finances and the business aspect is incredibly important because it speaks to integrity. Well, and look, what we want is we want the people of Alabama to know that we're not operating at the speed of government. We're operating at the speed of business. And that's what they expect. And that's what they should demand at the municipal level, at the county level, at the state level and from the federal government. Yeah. And if you're not getting that from those people then you need to change your expectations. And to me, that just speaks to integrity. You're operating at the speed of integrity because a day is a day. If I'm paying for you to process my payment in a day, that's the expectation. That's um, right. And that's the understanding. And I love that you cleared the communication. I love that the people that you've employed want to be real clear in their communication. And I think that's really important in leadership. So thank you thank for that you. story. So, John, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their climate or culture? You've experienced The bottom line this. is this, and, and you know this, you've had more than one job in yes, your life, yes. just like I have. And we have both been in situations where we've had jobs that we didn't enjoy as much as other jobs that we've had. But one of the commitments that I made to myself when I was in my 20s, when I was in a job that I really didn't enjoy that much, was that I knew that if I invested myself in that job every day, and I did the very best work I was capable of doing, that at some point in the future, something that I learned from that experience would translate into later success at some point in my life. And so I committed myself to doing the best job I could do, learning as much as I could learn and doing as much as I could possibly do every day that I was there. And it has helped me in other jobs that I have had later on in my life. So my commitment would be always do your best, give your most. And if you do that, ultimately, it will return success to you. Maybe not at that point, but you may be planting seeds for something later on. Mm -hmm. 
And at the very least, you'll learn what not to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. And I know in education, we have that on our resumes. We have that on our CVs all the time. But what does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Well, seriously, I think we go to school for one reason. I think we are instructed for one reason, and that's so we can learn how to learn. I think that's the whole purpose of school is to learn how to learn. Because once we learn how to learn, we can teach ourselves to do most anything that we want to do. One of my friends is the senior vice president of the Orlando Magic. His name is Pat Williams. And Pat has a saying, and I know he believes this, that if you read five books on any particular topic, you will become an expert on that topic because most people do not take time to read and to invest in themselves. As a matter of fact, very few adults will actually read through a book after they've completed their time in school, whenever that is. And that's very unfortunate. I set goals for myself to try to read a certain number of books each year and to make sure that I engage in educational experiences and opportunity that will allow me to grow as a person. And you know, John, one of the biggest reasons I'm doing this podcast is to help leaders to grow, help leaders to learn and continue to learn, especially in education. They're so inundated with other things that to really invest in themselves takes being intentional. That's what we're moving towards, helping people become intentional about investing in themselves. Now, as far as reading, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? Well, I don't know if you can see behind me, but there's a bookcase. In that collection over there, there's a number of national books that have been written by people that I admire. Now, most of those are biographies or they're current event books, political books. There may be a couple of sports books in there. There's also books on how to do a better job at what you're doing. But instructional and advice books and things like that, not self-help books, but books that I believe help to edify me. I also have another collection in another part of the room that's just books on Alabama history and things that are associated with Alabama, current events or current leaders or things of that nature. One of my favorite books is called The Paradox of Power that was written by my friend Pat Williams. Now, Pat's written more than 60 books. I think that it's important to read and It really doesn't matter what you read as long as you read, because when you continue to read, it allows you to grow and it allows your mind to expand and allows you to become a better you. Right. And we certainly believe that. So thank you so much for that. Um, What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have? Well, when I get up in the morning, I read my Bible and I read another devotional and that's how I start my day. And then I do my exercises. Now, when I was at home before I got into the legislature or into politics, I would go work out four days a week at the YMCA, a very intensive cardio and weight workout. But I have not been able to do that as successfully as I would like. So I do it sporadically now instead of consistently. But I do 161 push-ups and 161 sit-ups every day as soon as I get up out of bed. And then I shave and shower and then I go to work. And that's typically how I start my day. But I try to structure it in such a way that it allows me to get the most out of the 24 hours that have been given to me. So what time do you typically get up? It depends. Typically, six o'clock is the time that I get up. Mm -hmm. And I typically go to bed somewhere between 1130 and midnight. 
and I'm on the road a lot. One of the things that I do to stay in touch with our constituents is that I travel to all 67 counties in Alabama. This will be the fifth consecutive year that I have traveled to all 67 counties at least one time. Last year, I went to all 67 counties for a total of 350 unique visits to those counties. And I will continue to do that as long as I have the privilege to serve our people in this capacity or in any other elective statewide capacity. Right. And, you know, John, the reason I ask this question, too, is because of how important self-care is, especially as a leader. Oh, yes, ma'am. I think it's very important. I will tell you this. I think one of the weaknesses that I have is that I don't take enough time for myself and I don't set aside enough time for rest or for relaxation or for introspection. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem that I wrestle with, that I try to overcome. One of the things that I enjoy doing in resting in that regard is watching Westerns, old TV (laughs) shows, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, The Virginian, The High Chaparral, The Rifleman, Wagon Train, Rawhide. Those are my favorite shows. And people make fun of me, especially here in the office. They say, you don't think a TV show has been made since the 1970s. (laughs) I know there have been a few made since then, but most of them are not any good. Uh But I just think that it's important for us to have some way to rest and to relax as well. And to recover. And we want you around, John. It looks like you're doing a bang-up job (laughs) in Alabama, and I'm sure the citizens want you around. But, you you know, we interviewed not long ago a gentleman by the name of Brian Paul Buckley, and his lane would be energy and rest. And the reason why is because he works with high achievers who burn out. And I've gone through that, and to me, that's extremely important for leaders to really do self-care. So I invite you to listen to his podcast. He's amazing. I appreciate you sharing that with me. It's interesting that you say that because when I was campaigning, I put 181,351 miles on my car and four sets of tires. And in August of 2013, Senator Jeff Sessions, who is now our attorney general for the United States, was out on the campaign trail with me. And he saw me and he would see me at different events. And he came up to me one day and he said, John, you need to slow down. He said, you're going to burn out. You're not going to be able to keep up this pace. But the thing that's so interesting to him now and all the other people in the state is that my pace has not changed since 2012. I have been going the same rate of speed, which is fifth gear, all the time since that time. And I know if I need to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon one day, then I do that. Uh, I know that if I need some time at the beach, then I set that aside and then I go. But I also realize that there are other things that I need to do because if I go to the beach, I'm going to read three books while I'm at the beach. Uh So I'm able to catch up some on my reading, which I'm not able to do during my regular routine. And so, you know, another question I ask is about balance because there's so much to do. And oftentimes we tend to crash and burn here when it comes to balance and, and our family. And so can you speak a little bit to that? Well, sure. Now, I will tell you this. The things that I do today and the behavior that I've exhibited, the examples that I've given of my work and the things that I do now have been different at different times in my life. You know, our children are grown now and they don't live with us. Our son lives in Tampa, Florida. After he finished his degree at the University of Alabama in mathematics, he went to the University of South Florida and obtained a master's degree and an MBA. And now he lives and works in Tampa. Our daughter, who graduated with honors from the University of Alabama, 
in the School of Business, College of Commerce and Business Administration with a concentration in entrepreneurship as an international flight attendant with American Airlines, and she lives in Queens. Right near me. She flies out of LaGuardia and JFK and Newark, just like you do. And she is all over the world with her work. So I would not have missed any events that my children were involved in, whether it was a play, a program, a ball game, a church activity, anything like that when they were growing up, because I knew at some point they would be gone and I wouldn't be able to participate with them anymore or even see them as much as I have. So I never missed any of those events or activities. And yet I was still very involved, but it was important for me to be there with them when they were engaged in activities to show my support. Yes. Thank you so much for that. That's important to hear. So if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Uh, I think one of the things that I would have advised myself to do when I was younger would be to invest myself more in things that I did not like so I could glean some positives from those that would help prepare me to be better and stronger as I advanced through my academic career and my social career to make sure that I reached out and did things that were not within my comfort level to allow me to grow and to become a more complete me in the future. Example, like what? There were things that I did not enjoy reading when I was growing up. That was a time in the early 1970s where reading was not a part of the curriculum like it has come back to be. And so what happened was after I got to the University of Alabama, because I was not as avid a reader as I should have been, things that I did not enjoy studying, I did not study as much as I should have. And because of that, it put me behind in some of my classes. So while I reached the end of my academic career at the university, and I worked university housing maintenance in the summers for two summers, because I knew that once I graduated, I would not ever have a job that was something other than a white collar job. And I needed to prepare myself to understand what it was like to have to get up at six o'clock every morning and go to work at 630 and work all day in a blue collar type activity. And so I did that for those two summers. But when we would have our breaks or when we would have our lunch times, I would take books of an academic persuasion that I would read and I would make myself read a book a week by doing that. And it got me back in the habit of being a better and stronger reader, which has enabled me to become a more complete and well-rounded person and a more effective leader. Okay. Well, great. Now you're a voracious reader. Well, I still don't read as much as I would like, (laughs) but I do read a lot. Well, because you need to sleep, you need to eat, and you need to govern. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't believe we've come to our last question. So is there anything that we haven't addressed that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, look, I think this is the most important thing about leadership. It's one thing to be recognized as being an outstanding leader. It's one thing to be recognized as someone that's trying to change your community, your state, or your world. But it's another thing to remember that the most important people that you can attempt to lead are the people that are in your immediate family. Because if you don't put yourself in a position to fully invest in your family, then there's going to be a point in time in your life where when the cheering stops, there's not going to be anybody else around except for your family. And if you have not treated them right or well, and you've not invested in them the way that you should have, when you need them, you're not going to have anybody. 
because all those other people that were standing there in your balcony or that were standing there in the background behind you will all have left and they'll all have gone on to something else because you're not a legislator anymore. You're not a constitutional officer anymore, not the governor anymore. You're not a United States senator anymore. You're not the CEO anymore. You're not the principal or the teacher. And so you better have invested in your family, in your family's life, if you want to fully be appreciated when you reach a point when you're relying on them for your survival, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, John, those are great words of advice. Thank you so much for adding value, not just to my life, but to our listeners. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time, bye.